This is All Things Considered on KNKX. I'm Ed Ronco. There are changes coming to local police agencies in the next few months. In Pierce County, voters are choosing a new sheriff for the first time in about 20 years. In King County, the sheriff is not on the ballot this year, but voters are deciding whether to make the job elected or appointed. Seattle's police chief is departing next week, and Tacoma's is retiring at the end of the year. All of this happens amid and in some cases because of widespread calls for greater police accountability. Deborah Ahrens is a professor of law at Seattle University whose research focuses on policing practices, and she joins us now to talk about what some of these changes might actually mean. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. How important is a police chief or a sheriff in establishing or changing the culture of an agency itself? If you don't have someone in charge who has a clear vision and thinks about how they want the agency to run, it's very difficult for the agency to run well. But even if you get someone who does have a good vision and good administrative skills, they may or may not be able to change the direction of the agency as a whole. So how consequential then are these decisions, whether it's a mayor making a decision or or the voters? I think that if it's the voters making the decision, you end up with a police chief or a sheriff who's probably going to be more responsive to the community directly, assuming the community is informed about the issues in the first place and that they're invested in the elections. At least in my experience, oftentimes district attorney elections, sheriff elections, they're low information elections. They're often not even contested. Voters often are simply voting for a name that looks familiar to them because they don't know a lot about policing policy, it's entirely possible, given the events of the past six months or so, that your average voter is going to be both more invested in these elections as well as more informed about them. What about the broader base of police officers, for instance, unions? I mean, how does their influence on the culture of an agency compare to the influence of of the person who's in charge? The union's going to be really central to what the culture of that agency is going to look like. They are going to be representing the rank and file officers, which is the vast majority of officers. Oftentimes, those officers are going to have been in the department much longer than a new sheriff would have been or a new police chief would have been. Minneapolis is actually, unfortunately, a pretty good example of a police department where there was a relatively new police chief who'd been brought in to enact reforms and had a lot of difficulty doing so because some of those reforms contradicted union guarantees and other reforms contradicted the culture of the police force in the first place. A police chief or sheriff is just one person and it can be difficult to change a police force overnight. So as we talk about new people at the top. You know, the Seattle and Tacoma police chiefs are are outright hires. Um, Seattle, though, plans to have an interim chief, Adrian Diaz, in the job for a while. It hasn't quite outlined when it will begin the search for a permanent replacement uh, for Carmen Best. As, as someone who's interested in how police agencies do their work, what will you be looking for as these departments choose new leaders? This is, this is sort of an HR question, I guess. <laughs> I think that the main things I would be looking for are How transparent do they plan to be? In other words, how much information are we going to be able to get as citizens going forward about what police do? Are we going to have access to information about their disciplinary record? And then secondly, what are the accountability measures going to be? Certainly in many communities, there are citizen review boards that have been set up over the past 20 years or so that do have some information about what's happening inside of police agencies. So more transparency and more community input. But what they don't necessarily have is the ability to enforce any sort of accountability measures. And so I think a second thing that I would be looking for is 
how does this new police chief intend to create accountability for themselves and for officers? So accountability, consequences, and transparency, those are the things that I would be looking for. Can you place our region in a national context? Where are we in all of this? I guess for lack of a better way to ask this question, how are we doing? Seattle, as many people are aware, entered into a consent decree almost a decade ago at this point. This is a deal with the Justice Department for oversight of the police department. Exactly. And we entered into that mostly voluntarily. (laughs) We did not necessarily admit wrongdoing. But when you enter into a consent decree, it may be because, you know, if I don't consent to this, worse things may happen. Um, But that was because the Department of Justice had found that we had created dangers of racial bias in policing, although it didn't actually issue a finding that we were engaging in racial bias, but it did issue a finding that we were using excessive force. And so we've been monitored over time and there have been positive changes. We're still in that consent decree, however, which should suggest we have not reformed to the extent that we might hope. And of course, the consent decree itself might affect the ability of local agencies to make changes. A lot of people may have seen over the summer that city police said they couldn't be forced to stop using tear gas because the consent decree was the only thing that was supposed to be monitoring police behavior that the city council couldn't come in and tell them to do something else. Everything had to go through the consent decree. So... I don't know exactly where to place us nationally, other than certainly a lot of local concern about policing. You've seen a lot of local interest, a lot of protest, a lot of investment in wanting to change. So that at least, I think we have a conversation going here. How close we are to where different community groups want to be, that's harder to say. Over the time you've been teaching, has the conversation changed? Are you hearing different questions? Are you finding students who are going into law for different reasons? Absolutely. When I, I've been teaching for about 16 or 17 years now, it's been a while. And at the very beginning, I found that my students generally, if they wanted to enter criminal law, they wanted to be prosecutors. Mm-hmm. They were relatively sympathetic to police. And I would say, you know, maybe... 10 years ago, I started getting more voices who were either saying they wanted to be criminal defense attorneys or maybe talking about their own experiences with policing or providing some sort of critical perspective on it. In the past two or three years, that's definitely upticked. And I have for, I want to say 10 years now, assigned this kind of group of articles for my first day of criminal procedure that range from Justice Thomas at one end saying, police are great more discretion for police, more police, more money for police, like give them whatever they want. They're awesome. And then all the way over at the other end, there is a book chapter by a professor named Robin D.G. Kelly, who's at UCLA now, um, that basically says, burn the whole thing down, right? Policing cannot be saved. It is a colonial racist institution through and through. And when I first started teaching that article, the students would come in and be like, "Eh, you know, it's nice for you to provide that for us, but that seems pretty radical and academic and out there. And now I usually get, you know, a number of students who come in the first day saying, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I think. And that's different. Is there a middle ground to occupy there or, or should it be one side or the other? I don't want to say I'm always kind of skeptical about the pull to the middle. Like as long as you're in the middle, you must be reasonable because sometimes that's just not the case. 
Um, but I do think that having lots of different voices in the conversation is the only way anything's ever going to get done. You're not going to get done, anything done if you're sitting in an echo chamber only talking to people who share your own perspective. Deborah Ahrens, thank you so much. Thank you.